Jesus, your word says that you are the lifter of our heads. God, what an honor that you would lift our heads to see your glory and your goodness. So, Lord, we give you thanks. We give you such honor and praise for who you are and what you do. So, Lord, as we approach your word, we ask that you would continue to be the lifter of our heads. That you would continue to be the one to grow and shape us into the fullness for which you designed us for. Holy Spirit, would you help us to hear? Would you help us to receive? Would you help us to speak and respond? And God, would you be glorified? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I titled my message, The Feast of Fasting, but I feel like we've already feasted, so... um, Perhaps we'll call this dessert. Um, (laughs) We'll hope, right? All right. So we are still in the Sermon of the Mount. And I just have to say as a preacher that I don't expect any of you to take any of my sermons and cut them into like 42 sermons. This is a tremendous sermon that we can write so many sermons based on one sermon of Jesus. It's incredible. It's an incredibly rich sermon. So for a brief recap... We started with Matthew 5 and those, those blessed statements, those beatitudes that are so rich and profound. And from the beatitudes, we moved on to some very specific corrections that Jesus gave about things like murder and adultery and divorce and taking oaths and things like that. And then after Matthew 5, we've moved into Matthew 6. And Matthew 6 continues on with some corrections But the first three that are listed in Matthew 6 are very specific. Jesus is talking about ways that we exercise our faith. And so the three corrections that are given are on praying, giving, and fasting. So we're a little bit out of order. We had a snow day. Um, (laughs) So next week we'll hear a sermon from Anna on giving, which is the first one. And last week, Pastor Scott gave us this beautiful message on prayer. And how um, prayer is actually evangelical and that we're asking heaven to invade earth. Like, so profound. And this week we're moving on to fasting. So we're going to pick up in Matthew 6. And I'm going to read just a couple short verses. We're in Matthew 6. And I'm going to read verses 16 to 18. This is the word of the Lord. It says, when you fast, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Are any of you out there gym people? You like to go to the gym, yeah? You can be proud, that's okay. All right, all right. I am not in the gym season of life. (laughs) I chase a toddler. That's the gym. Yes, okay. 
But over my lifetime, there have been periods of time where I enjoy the gym. And when I was in college was when I first really started going to the gym for myself. And what that usually looked like was finding a roommate to go with me. And then it would be like a 45-minute long process where we would put on a full face. And this is the early 2000s, right? So you've got your teased, perfect ponytail bun situation going on and your neon-coordinated clothes because it's the early 2000s. Okay, I get some nods around here. And your shoes had to match your outfit, and you go to the gym, and you find the machine that is lined up right in front of the football team. (laughs) Right? And you work really hard to look as athletic as humanly possible. You know, you got your iPods on, and you're going... We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs. We maybe made some friends. But I don't think anyone lost a pound or gained an ounce of muscle. Like, my husband has since corrected my gym problems. Um, I figured out how to use the gym to some extent. But the point is, going through the motions of something and even looking the part does not produce real results. And I think this is precisely the problem that Jesus is helping people to avoid in our text for this morning. Fasting was a really common part of culture and society in Jesus' day. Um, I read that the Pharisees and anyone who thought of themselves as religiously devout actually fasted two days out of every single week, like full days, sun up to sundown, in addition to holidays. And so they would fast What days did they fast? It was Thursday to Monday because it was thought that in Exodus, Moses would go up to Mount Sinai on Thursday and be in the presence of the Lord and then come back down on Monday. And so Thursday and Monday would be your days of fasting. Biblical fasting can be defined as the practice of abstaining from food or other things for spiritual purposes. This is why they would fast. Pastor and theologian John Piper said that Christian fasting, at its root, is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Beautiful. This was the intent of fasting. So in Jesus' day, people were fasting a lot. Now, fasting in itself is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very, very good thing. Notice Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, He says, when you fast. So it was expected that people would be fasting, and it was expected that we would continue to fast. But Jesus wanted them to do it correctly. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Pharisees were fasting from sunup to sundown two days of every single week, they are already really showing me up in the world of fasting, even if they're doing it incorrectly. But according to Jesus, something about this ritual had gone very wrong. Now, have you ever seen a really dramatic kid who doesn't want to go to school? And they get up in the morning. I just don't feel well. Mom, I don't think I can go to school. This is the picture I get when Jesus describes his Pharisees when they're trying to fast. Apparently, they're working very hard with their facial expressions and their countenance to let the whole world know that they're fasting. 
poor me. I'm not eating. Look at me. Look at us, they would say with sad and dreary faces. We're fasting. We have not eaten all day because we're so holy. And we would like everyone to know. Now the great irony here, though, is that the Pharisees have completely missed the whole point, the design of fasting. Because at the very heart of fasting is the concept that we are to turn away from the things on this earth that feed us because we have a need or a desire for something that only God can provide. Forgive the word here, but this approach is as dumb as me hoping that going to the gym in my outfit would make me an athlete. It's like returning to the same store over and over again for an item they don't stock. It's like drinking from a cup that you know is empty. It just makes no sense. Fasting is seeking the invasion of heaven for the problems of earth that the earth has not and cannot solve. So Jesus calls this out. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They got what they wanted. People think they're holy. Whoopie-doo. That's all they get out of this. They get some praise. They've starved themselves in my name, but all they'll get is some affirmation and some looks because that's all they were looking for. Friends, when we miss the motivation and we miss the purpose, we miss out on the reward that God intended. As I dug into this short but meaty text, I found myself convicted on a couple of different layers here. And so I'll start with the confession. I kind of already said it, but I'm not much of a faster. I'm certain that there are many people in this room that have much more experience and wisdom to share on fasting. So I am out of my depth. Here I am. I've experimented with fasting over the years in different contexts, but truly I can't say that I've um, enjoyed it tremendously. I really like food. Um, I don't know nearly enough about fasting And I don't have a great testimony about fasting altering my life or my walk with the Lord. But Jesus is quite clear. He expects us to give to the needy. He expects us to be people of prayer. And he expects us to fast. And fasting can take many forms. This is not a full-scope teaching on fasting. There's many, many ways that people fast. There's something called the Daniel fast that you can look at in the book of Daniel where it's basically just eating vegetables and water. People fast from other things like social media. Um, People fast long periods of time. People fast short periods of time. People fast from sex or TV, scrolling phones, games, even news media. And I should note that fasting should always be done medically safe. Talk to your doctor before you fast. There's lots of options. But what it comes down to is that Jesus expects that from time to time we sincerely and diligently turn away from whatever earthly things we depend upon and instead we turn to him. My confession is that I don't do that nearly enough, much less correctly. So that's my first layer of Conviction, And the question it leaves me with is why. And if if you're in the same boat as me going, "I I don't do this a lot, the question for us is why. Why aren't we fasting? Maybe it's just not something that we were raised with or are used to. Hasn't maybe been part of our outward working of faith. 
Maybe it's a little bit intimidating. When I first started learning about fasting, it, it kind of scared me. Like, I don't, I don't know enough about this to do this well. Maybe there's pride in my heart and I don't really want to do it. There could be a, a variety of things. Maybe we simply don't realize the need for fasting. Why would I need to fast? I think perhaps Jesus' first question to us this morning might be, Will you come and fast for me? And if it's not an immediate yes, I think the question is, why? And perhaps there's some good mining to be found there. I think the second layer of conviction for me here is, even if not specific to fasting, what is my motivation for religious activity? Why do I do things like worship and sing and pray and talk about God? Um, Because if my desire is to be seen a certain way or to receive affirmation from people, then I'm missing the point. And that's sad. There may be sin in there, but I think what's ultimately sadder is then we miss the reward. We miss the purpose and the reward that Jesus has in our seeking of him. So the question is, are we merely putting on an outfit or are we actually putting in the work for God? Because each produces a very different result. But friends, here's the good news. Jesus always wants his absolute best for his people. And so he offers us a very different and, dare I say, joyful perspective on fasting. In verse 17, he says, But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the point of fasting is to turn away from the world and to turn to God. And so Jesus says the world simply doesn't even need to know that you're fasting. But God sees everything. He sees your heart. He sees your motivation. He sees what you're doing. So put yourself together the way that you do every other day and go about your business, but keep your eyes and your ears attuned to God. And your Father who is unseen will reward you. Now I've got to add in two little caveats here. So first, Jesus is not saying that we should never talk about fasting or that it's always a sin to talk about fasting. There are ways that we can talk about fasting that gives glory to God We can ask for prayer in a fasting process, and we can share testimony of what God does in and through fasting. This is very different from, like, um, boasting or drawing attention. Do you see the difference? Glory to God. The second caveat that I want to make is that fasting is not transactional. Now, what do I mean by that? We do not fast to get our way with God. So I can't just say, man, I'd really like to pay off my house. And so I'm just not going to eat until God delivers that. That's not how this works, right? The reward is God. In fasting, we seek God. We seek his presence. We seek his goodness. We seek his face. And from that, he gets to decide what that reward is because he's good. And he knows exactly what we need. It's up to him. And that's good. So... Why would Jesus want people to fast? Why would a person fast and what rewards exactly 
might Jesus be referring to? Well, let's look at some biblical examples. So in Ezra 8, back in the Old Testament, the exiled people of God are finally allowed to return to Jerusalem, but the road to Jerusalem is super dangerous. Like there's a great risk that they might not even make it back. So Ezra calls all the people to fast and to pray. And he says the reason that they're fasting and praying is to humble themselves before God, to seek from him the right way for us. And God provided a way safely for the exiles to return to Jerusalem. And I think an argument could be made that he was doing the work of recalibrating their relationship with him. And Esther 4, Queen Esther asks for all of her people to join in fasting for three days for her protection. She's about to go to the king and ask him if he will intervene in persecution of the Jewish people. And she knows that if, he, if she sets that king off, she could just be killed. So she asks the whole people, the whole group of, of people there, to fast for three days. The king heard Esther's plea. The people were spared, and she was a favored wife. Here in both cases, Ezra and Esther, fasting and, per, fasting and prayer produced the reward of protection. In Jonah 3, after Jonah brought the word of God, the people were so convicted that the king of Nineveh called the entire city to fast and pray and repent. Like he says, um, give a mighty cry before the Lord. Pour out your repentance. Now remember, God had threatened to absolutely obliterate Nineveh. And you know why he didn't? Because the people fasted and they prayed and they repented. And Nineveh came to know God. Fasting and repentance can produce the reward of God's great mercy. Now there's a super interesting example of fasting found in 2 Samuel 12. Now remember that really awful story from David about how he rapes Bathsheba and murders Uriah and then she gets pregnant? Now the rest of the story is that that child was very, very sick when it was born. And so David starts crying out to the Lord, Lord, like I know I messed up, but, but save this child. And he does a long period of fasting and prayer. And in the end, that baby dies. Fasting is not transactional. But during that time, if you look at Psalm 51, it's a psalm that scholars believe David wrote during this period of fasting. And you can see God do the intimate work of restoring within David a pure heart and restoring relationship between God and David in a way that set him up to continue leading his king, walking in righteousness. Fasting, prayer, and repentance have the power to restore a person to right relationship with God. And really, I think in there is the heart of all fasting. The extra rewards are just the frosting on top. In the New Testament, Anna, you might remember her, the prophetess who is blessed to recognize and meet baby Jesus in the temple. She's honored in scripture as being a woman who was a great faster in prayer. It said night and day she fasted and lifted up her prayers to the Lord. The early church fasted before making decisions about leadership or other big things. Paul and Barnabas and their missionary journeys were the fruit of fasting. The church got together and fasted and prayed and decided to commission Paul and Barnabas. Now imagine the world if people had not sought the Lord and decided to send Paul and Barnabas out. 
to bring the gospel to the world. Cornelius, do you remember Cornelius? He's the guy that they say opened the door for Gentiles to receive the gospel. It's noted that Cornelius was a religious faster, a man of fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer can provide wisdom. It can provide direction. It can bubble up calling and gifting and hunger. And it can set the plans of God in motion on the earth. Jesus himself famously fasted for 40 days before he was tempted. I don't know about you, but that that feels illogical to me, to not eat for 40 days to prepare to be tempted with bread. (laughs) Like... But it worked. Jesus withheld temptation. Fasting and prayer sustains the people of God against temptation. Paul often referred to fasting and prayer, particularly when he referenced the tremendous suffering that he endured on earth. It was fasting and prayer that sustained him as well. The last example I want to draw on is from Matthew 17. I find this super interesting. After the disciples fail to set a demon-possessed boy free, Jesus comes and sets the boy free, and the disciples are like, Lord, what do we do wrong? Like, what's going on? And Jesus says, the, the problem here is faith. How long will I be with you, this generation of weak faith? And then he says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now put this together. Somehow the measure of our faith is connected to prayer and fasting. There's a relationship there. And there are problems on this earth that can only be solved by prayer and fasting. Now, doesn't that beg that question? What solutions are we missing out on if we aren't practicing fasting and prayer? The Puritans were a a deeply devout religious group, and they referred to fasting as soul fattening. Beautiful, right? You can see the word picture here. Though the body may shrink in fasting, the soul is getting sweetly fattened, richly fattened. Through fasting, our soul can be healed, it can be restored, it can be set free. It can be strengthened and protected. It is called, led, and empowered. All because, as the Bible tells us, when we seek God, we find him. And in him, our every single need is met. And so, friends, I'm excited to fast. Truly, it's... It's anticlimactic to me that I'm pregnant while I'm putting this message together because fasting is very different right now, right now for me. But we're entering a season of Lent. Lent is a time when, since the beginning of church history, churches have fasted together seeking the Lord. And so what, what a profound, opportune time to say, God, is there an, an invitation for me? whether I've never fasted or I'm an experienced faster or anywhere in between, to participate in this. As I prepared for this message, I was also mindful of some of the prophetic words that we received going into this next year. We, we heard from people that 
This could be a year of fruitfulness for Gold Avenue Church and a year of growing in intimacy with the Lord. And so, friends, I have to wonder, is is fasting one of those tools that God might use to draw us further into him and to bear some of that fruit that he wants to produce? And so, I, you know, I'm excited about fasting. Are you excited about fasting? Maybe? Getting there? Yes? All right. Well, I think that God has specific invitations that he wants to give to each one of us this morning about how we might continue to press into him with fasting. And so um, as we close, I'm I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. God, your goodness is on display this morning. And Lord, I thank you that in you our every need is met. What a gift, Lord, that we can, we can turn away from this earth that doesn't satisfy. And we can turn to you and you meet our needs. And so, Lord, you know what you have for each one of us. You know where we need breakthrough. You know what kind of fruit you want to bear in our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come now and that you would bring invitation. Invite us to wonder with you about how we might press into you with fasting and prayer and maybe even repentance this morning, Lord.